You're listening to Stir Crazy with Steve Jenkins. Conversations with creatives during the quarantine. Hey folks, welcome to Stir Crazy. I'm Steve Jenkins. Over the past few days, I've been thinking a lot about identity as of late and this whole notion that what we do defines who we are. And in the professional sense of this idea, it's been pressing because so many of us can't do what we normally do because everything is shut down. But I have to believe it's temporary and it's not so much an identity crisis as much as just a setback. It's leaving everybody antsy and uncomfortable and it's uncertain and it sucks. But at some point, we'll all get back to what we do. But no, actually, I've been thinking about what identity is on a bigger scale. I've been thinking about how many of us, we might be known for one thing when we actually might have a range of talents that go way beyond that one thing. Being a creative professional, whether you're a musician, an actor, or a comedian, it's a gamble, man. There's always things that involve risk and reward. You can't win if you don't play. You certainly can't win big if you don't risk big. Sometimes you roll the dice on something that comes your way and it changes your life forever. Perhaps it even changes your life in ways that you couldn't foresee. The person I interview on today's episode is someone who I would say has had one hell of a ride in terms of living a creative life in the arts. He went to Manhattan School of Music and then in his early 20s made three records with an acid jazz band that was signed to a major label. And he also worked with some of the best musicians in New York City. Then from there, he joins a critically acclaimed theatrical show which puts him on the radar of many people because it was a popular show. And at some point during his time in that theatrical show, he gets his first major role in a film. Except we're not talking about a regular film. We're talking about Star Wars, for crying out loud. My guest today is Ahmed Best. Known for everything I just talked about and also known as the actor who played Jar Jar Banks in the Star Wars prequels. Whether you like that character or not, there are things about this, especially in 2020, that many people just don't always consider when Jar Jar comes up. Ahmed was the first actor in a big budget movie to do motion capture. Jar Jar Binks was a technical achievement never before seen in a movie until The Phantom Menace. For as common as motion capture is today in modern special effects, Jar Jar was the first of its kind. He helped pioneer it, and it was his physical acting besides his voice which made that character come to life. I met Ahmed in 2006, when he and I were both in the touring configuration of the band Screaming Endless Torsos. We did a bunch of shows in Mexico City, and then we did a, like a month-long European run, and we've been friends ever since. We chatted a couple weeks back, and we talked about all kinds of things, including the different ways he likes to stay creative, what this shutdown has been like for him. We even touch on the complexity of being Jar Jar, and what some of the backlash was like. We talk about the state of special effects in 1999 and the lasting impact of motion capture. He also gives an update on his one-man show, which documents that entire time period. It was a great chat, and here's our conversation. What's up, man? How's it going? Yeah, man, I'm chilling. I'm on COVID duty. I'm just chilling in the crib, trying to figure out ways to stay creative, make shit, thinking a lot. I'm thinking a lot. I'm using my brain a lot. What's cool is you're a multifaceted creative person. Like you act, you do music, and you do writing and stuff like that. 
Yeah, sometimes that's difficult though, because some I, I, there are some days where I wake up and I'm just like, what do I do? I I have a lot of ideas, and sometimes they all get just kind of smashed together. And I'm just like, all right, I gotta sit and focus and think about what to do today. And that's when like I don't have a type A personality. I have like a type A minus personality. Like there are some <laughs> days where I'm just like I want to get everything together. And there are some days where I would just want to be a lazy musician and be like, ah, eh, you know, the gigs are Let me just sit back and listen to some Ahmad Jamal. I have days where I'll play and write a lot. And then I'll have days where I have to motivate myself and think, well, these scales and other things aren't going to run themselves, you know? Yeah. <laughs> We're a couple weeks into this quarantine lockdown thing. And I know the last, one of the last normal things that I did was when we met for tacos over in Echo Park. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely right on the cusp of when life turned around and got nuts. And, you know, when we did meet for tacos, I, I was just like aware of what was happening in Wuhan. And, and I had cats in Italy going, yo, we, we're getting hit with this thing that nobody really knows. Like people are getting sick. So I was aware of it. And I was just like, well, nobody over here was saying anything. But, you know, there were reports where Wuhan and then Beijing and then all over China was just shut, quiet. And cats were being pulled off the streets and thrown in their apartments. And everybody was like, oh, this is draconian. This is like... George Orwell, 1984 kind of shit. This is the problem with China. And then next thing you know, boom, United States of America gets hit with this thing and it's like everybody stay home. And we weren't watching, we weren't watching the signs. And it's kind of like pollution, you know what I'm saying? Like when people discovered that global climate change was a real thing and pollution was happening, scientists were like, what did you think pollution did? Like stop that the border like no it's we're in one ecosystem we're in yeah. one earth like pollution will travel it travels in the sky like everybody has to fuck with the same sky you <laughs> exactly know? yeah and it, that that's the way this virus was you know scientists were like what do you think viruses do they hop from person to person to person and somebody gets on a plane the virus is gonna go with them you know yeah i mean it's like the greatest the greatest thing about having like global travel and uh, all these different things that are reliant on people being in various places are also the mechanisms which make something like this really problematic. Uh, you know, so it's yeah, it's it's been interesting, man. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of different folks that, you know, mutual friends of ours and stuff just, you know, we're all kind of adjusting to this thing in real time. And, uh, I mean, how's, you know, so how's, have you settled into any kind of routine with like the quarantine stuff, like a quarantine routine? Yeah. Or? yeah. I mean, that's the one thing that I'm just like, all right, this is going to keep me sane is if I do kind of settle into uh, what is the day to day look like without having to really reinvent myself every day. And, you know, the thing about being an artist is we kind of do this, which is, one of the reasons why I moved from New York City to here, but um, now I'm just like, oh, maybe I can move to uh, Ethiopia. They got a city there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Get out of this rat race. Yeah, it's it's strange because 
on one hand, I think a lot of the types of work we do as creatives, whether, you know, you're, you're filming movies or television shows or you're playing in clubs or you're recording, there's an element of like, there's an element of urgency when you're going to do that amongst like a staff of people and like a cast or like a bunch of musicians like that, that tends to yield like a certain type of result. But what, what's been kind of in the clear for at least, I don't want to say 10 years, but almost a decade that a lot of people are content to be entertained by looking at something in their hand, you know, just because of the, the advent of technology and stuff. And, you know, I think for, for musicians, there's some people who have really, really optimized what what they can do with those those parameters and other people who are more just I'm on the road 24 seven I'm never home I think it's interesting to see everyone's kind of finally kind of in a in a position where they have to reckon with some of the tools that are gonna kind of be there in lieu of being able to play in front of people and do that thing at least for for a while so so I kind of wonder. Yeah. I kind of wonder what that's going to be like. I was just talking to a buddy of mine who said that like he lives in North Carolina. He said there's a warehouse that they're converting into a live stream space, which I think is sort of a cool idea just because, you know, people are going to want to watch stuff and be entertained. Um, But yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, it's very, I think right now it's hard for anyone to see around this thing, but what do you think? Where do you think stuff's going to land once we're back to normal? I mean, do you think it's going to change industries and stuff or do you think it's just going to be back to like business as usual well i hope it does i hope it changes industries um because and i and i and i think that's a good thing and i think as as i think that's an exciting thing and that's what i was really kind of thinking about this morning while i was you know starting my thing which is what's really exciting mostly people use their devices for you know, personal publicity, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, look at me doing this thing, come see me doing this thing, marvel at me doing this thing, right. Or laugh at this thing that's viral. Right. And (laughs) it's, it's more, it's more like this self aggrandizing, you know, almost narcissism when it Mm -hmm. comes to what you're doing on your social medias, it's like everybody listen to my opinion, everybody watch my, you know, I, my abs, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody watch me dance at this concert. Don't watch the concert, which is crazy. Like, you know, the last concert I went to, I went to go see Lenny Kravitz at the Palladium. Like, Mm -hmm. I think this was, I don't think, I think it was like maybe two years ago. Okay. Oh, wow. That's how much, you know, that's how much I go out now, you know what I'm saying, as a family yeah. man. Back in the day, I was out every night. Now I'm just like, yeah, two years ago, I saw Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> but, and he was dope. But the thing that's changed so much is when you go to a show, everybody puts their phone up and you can't see what's happening on stage. Yeah. Right. You're looking at a screen there's Lenny Kravitz in front of you and everybody's killing and everybody's playing, but everybody's watching him through their iPhone screen. And yeah. I was like, who's what's going on here? It's absurd. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I felt like, I felt like my dad, you know what I'm saying? Like 
I'm like, <laughs> what are you kids doing? <laughs> You're yeah. missing the show, you know? And, you know, it really kind of made me think, like, why is everybody doing this? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, what is this about? Is this about, like, I was there, let me prove it? Is this about, oh, I want to watch this later? Like, you're not watching it now. Like, why, why are you watching it on your phone later? Like, I don't, I don't really, <laughs> I didn't really get it. You know, I don't really understand that. So rather than this being like a voyeuristic tool, <laughs> you know, it's now become a tool of creativity because it has to be. Mm-hmm. Now everybody's like, oh shit, what can I do to this thing to bring myself to this thing in order to create an industry for myself? Yes. You know? I was going to say, it's interesting, the phone thing during like live performances, because the last couple gigs I played, uh, one of them was, was in downtown LA. And, um, that was when I was telling you, if you, if you could make it out, come through. And it was a cool gig, man. It was a lot of fun, but there wasn't a stage and there were tons of people with their phones out. And I honestly didn't mind because I wanted to hear what we sounded like at, at a certain point. I just didn't have my, myself documentate like myself, uh, recording set up, uh, ready to go at that point. Like, I don't think I had charged my GoPro and I was just like, fuck it, man. We'll just play it. And someone's, you know, it was almost like I had faith that someone would pull their phone out and I'd get to hear yeah. what we sounded like. And I was happy, you know, I always feel like I always listen for the same things when I hear like people record gigs, but like I was grateful in that instance, but, but I definitely think, I don't know, like I saw Tool in, in October at the Staples Center and, and it was a phenomenal show. Like they played great. The the production was amazing. The sound was amazing. And they had a very strict no cell phones or you get booted um, during the yeah. show. And they were pretty, pretty adamant about that. And then the last tune, they let everyone like, you know, there's like, fine, if you want to film this, it's fine. But uh, yeah, I just don't I, th- I think it's a weird way to check out, man. Like a- at least prior to this new phase, we're probably going to see more creativity from, you know, it's like it's a weird way to check out. It's a weird way to like kind of passively experience something. I mean, there's exceptions. Look, like if there was, if you were playing, like if you were at a gig and someone amazing comes out that you weren't expecting and like, I feel like a little video is okay, but if it's just like the whole show and it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. And then it's like, you got to see how dirty someone's phone screen is in front of you. I don't want to see that, man. That's where, that's where I get off the train. It's just like, <laughs> there are people who don't want to look at a phone. You know what I'm saying? There are people who want to experience this shit live. And if the, the the entire crowd in front of you just pops their phones up and it's obstructing your ability to enjoy the show in the moment at the time, then I think it's invasive. It's intrusive. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not the type of person who goes to live shows to look through a screen. Like, I actually want to see what's happening on stage and experience the moment. So when all of a sudden, like, I went to I went to see Stromae. Mm-hmm. Um, at at the um, that theater on on Hollywood Boulevard in Vine. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but I went to I went to see Stromae there. Right, great music, dope visuals. He's kind of like this weird androgynous looking kind of dude, right? Mm-hmm. French Congolese. Like he's a really he has a really good mix of like 
French Congolese dance music, right? Mm-hmm. There's this cat in front of me who had a full-on like 15-inch iPad. Oh like, man! Flicked, like flipped up his iPad in front Damn. of me, and I was just like, "Bro, nah." <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's like there's the phones and I'm like, I got to deal with these freaking phones. Right. Uh-huh. But you and your iPad, y'all going to have to move. That's that's, that's some balls, man. That takes some balls yeah. to like pull out. Dude, one time um, I was playing a festival in Brazil with Vernon Reed and I, I shit you not. Dude had his laptop turned pointed at the stage like he was holding that up, like just just like taking taking video with the webcam. Um, yeah, nah, man, I can't fuck with that. That that's when I'm just like, this. What are you doing with this material? Like, you're putting that up on a YouTube page. You know what I'm saying? Like, you trying to? I don't know what you're doing with that. You know? Yeah. And it's messing up my vibe. Like, it's messing up my experience. And I paid the exact same ticket price as you, so I should be able to watch it the way I want to watch it. It's just kind of a bogarting of, you know my personal experience which you know is is i guess is ending you know what i'm saying like this is one of those signs of the times and you know we we, you're gonna bump up against what is privacy now you know what i'm saying what is exclusivity mean what is you know nowness in the present you know as opposed to capture in the future you know what i'm saying like we're talking about all of these situations now where things are different People think differently about this. You know what I'm saying? So I'm definitely bumping up against my age, but by the same token, you know, we should all be able to enjoy media the way we want to enjoy it. But, you know, as far as like industry wise, I think the entertainment industry is in need of a very severe shakeup. And I'm hoping that this involuntary shutdown makes them think, oh, we have to change. You know, we have to change the way we're doing things because what what entertainment industries do, they just pretty much let you do all the work and then they come in and then they 10X your work. They're not very interested in new and cutting edge and smart and risk-taking. You know, that's not what they do. They're pretty much just huge banks. And when you have already proven that you can make X amount of dollars, they 10 times that X amount of dollars when you hit the right number. And it's kind of always been that way. Nowadays, I think we're so celebrity driven, Mm -hmm. not just like talent wise, but cult of personality, speaking of Vernon, cult of personality, celebrity driven, that um, it's very difficult to put out anything or do anything with any kind of substantial, you know, means of, of supporting oneself. And I think that that, because it is shut down entertainment industry and, and industry conglomerates are going to have to go, Oh shit, we need to really rethink this thing. Yeah. They're going to have to try harder, man. I think people are, are entertained by like kind of dumb stuff, you know? And, And I feel like maybe just, from people being forced inside or without like maybe lack of options. I think I'd like to hopefully, I'd I'd like to hopefully think that this will make people want to go to more shows, maybe like not, you know, like 
go to movies and not pull their phone out when shit gets boring because I've seen that happen, you know, and, and I guess I feel like there's been a weird sort of erosion of just people being able to, like, give themselves to, like, a couple hours where they don't have to be connected to anything. Yeah. You know, it's weird. Do artists have any kind of, like, responsibility to to do certain things in this time period? You know, you always hear that trope about, um, you know, in times of great adversity, art, you know, art save the day like are, you know do you think we're going to be sort of in a renaissance period with folks creating or do you think it's going to be some of that and like just a lot of folks passing the time yeah you know what's interesting um there's this uh kind of document going around on social media right now where people is like people are just like this is not the time to you know make that record this is not the time to paint that Picasso or write that book. You should be allowed to just kind of sit around and do nothing, right? Like, right. don't pressure yourself into making anything great right now. And I'm just like, wow, what a, what a case of like, you know, <laughs> mediocre thinking. Like, I don't think you have to go out there and be Shakespeare, but I don't right. think you should sit on your ass and just recognize that times suck and you, you, you're allowed to not be anything. Like, I think yeah. there's a middle ground somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Like get up and make shit. It, but it don't force yourself to think that you're making a masterpiece. Just make what's on your mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, just get it out there with no judgment. You know what I'm saying? Don't judge yourself while you're doing it. Just make it. You know what I'm saying? Because as, as human beings, as creatures that, evolve if mm-hmm. we are slow if we if we fall into which is easy to fall into depression if we fall into the the the, the misery of and the despair of what's going on that's not healthy right and being in a depression and and, and not moving and, and being sloppily that that's hard to come out of right yeah i'm not saying you have to write 100 pages a day but write a sentence like that's creativity. That's productive. Have a thought. Keep a journal. Even if your thought is, man, here I am in this room again. I can't believe this is <laughs> happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, here I am playing this scale that I played a million times. Why don't I just play it backwards? See if I can do that. That's enough. But this idea of don't pressure yourself to write the next great American novel just sit down and be miserable. I'm just like, eh. I mean, if that's your thing, uh, that's that's not who I am. So I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, 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 we all have our, you know, we all have our methods and motivations in life and we can choose what to do. But, um, yeah, you know, I, that's just never been where I came from. I've always been like, all right, you know, it's a bad, if it feels like a bad day, I'm going to acknowledge it feels like a bad day. I'm going to feel a little crazy and I'm going to run a couple miles, write a sentence, but I want to, in some way, go to bed smarter. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And if it's like, I read a poem that makes me go, hmm, I just want to go to bed smarter. You know what I'm saying? I think that's good practice. And I, I also 
think people are going to just do stuff, even in just the interest of self-care. Because I know that like if I don't touch my base for like a couple of days uh, and it's that's rare that that happens. But if I don't touch my base or like work on something musical or like make a track like I feel I start to feel weird, you know, like I so even just doing that, regardless of what happens with it, I automatically feel 50 times better than I did if I don't do that. Nobody should operate under the. uh the the in, like the mindset that they have to make you know the next whatever it's i think i think that's the weird thing about about all this like i think some like some of it will write itself you know if, if someone's going to make something that's going to like turn into something great during this time period then you know that it'll be what it's going to be um are you working on anything specific right now like uh how's that i was going to ask you how's that one man show been developing are you still working on that is that ready to go it is ready i was i wanted to uh be on stage at the edinburgh fringe festival this summer but i have a strong possible you know it's there's a strong possibility that's not going to happen so um i'm still grinding away on it it's ready to be up you know it's ready to go and um i i really want to do it and now we're just on we're on timeout until we can figure out what this virus is doing. Hopefully it'll be on stage. It was going to be on stage this year. Hopefully it's going to be on stage sometime next year. Once we can figure out what we're going to do with human beings in space. And I think the one good thing about what's happening right now with this lockdown is we realize we need each other. There's been this big um, kind of anti-group meeting entertainment push. You know what I'm saying? Like it feels like everybody's trying to get everybody isolated and in their homes or isolated in their on their devices. So um, concerts, movie theaters, everybody's, you know, there was a general consensus in the entertainment industry that that shit was over. You know what I'm saying? Like theater, uh, live concerts, live shows. It was only the big ones. You know what I'm saying? It was only like the big summer festivals, the big blockbuster movies, Broadway shows. You know what I'm saying? Like all the other ancillary little groups and gatherings were kind of thrown away. And big entertainment were putting most of their funds behind big, you know, shows, big releases. And it's been very difficult you know, being a director and being a, a, a producer and a performer, it's been extremely difficult to make things because there's no distribution outlet that could guarantee you your money back. And this is why the celebrity thing has become so pervasive, because the idea that a celebrity opens your movie to sales companies means the money that you invest, you'll get back plus X, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the amount of venues, screens, so on and so forth that your work could be in front of really has to do with that number, like how many butts and seats can you get? And those outlets have reduced, right? And I think now it's going to go the other way. Now that we all realize that we need each other, that we actually want to be together, like we want to be outside. The biggest thing about being quarantined is not being able to interact with other people. 
And, you know, every kind of early evening, my family and I, we go on our quarantine walk. Like we get all masked and gloved up and we mm-hmm. just walk around the block to get outside. Right. And when we see other people, everybody is hyper aware and conscious of that six foot distance. So we're like moving away from each other. And I <laughs> yeah. noticed that as we do it with the more and more people we do it with, everybody kind of realizes this is kind of weird. So we all kind of give each other this we're okay smile as we pass. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if I trust you because you got you may not or you may not have or we're not sure if you COVID-19. So (laughs) we're just going to kind of give you like the, hey, how you doing? And stay six feet apart. Right. But we all recognize that that shit is weird. Super weird. You know what I'm saying? It's weird. Which makes you think like, oh, snap, like human beings actually want to be with human beings in general. Being away from human beings is strange. It's very strange. I've been going on walks in my neighborhood and I did some I did some hiking. I don't know that I can get back there. I think they closed a lot of that now. Yeah, um, all the parks are closed now. Yeah, it's where I had this like weird thought, and it's probably this is a too soon joke, but whatever, man. I was walking, ar- <laughs> I was I was walking around. And I saw like you know people that appeared to have a good amount of cosmetic surgery walking around, and it, and it made me wonder how long does COVID nineteen survive on plastic? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not very long. Not it very long. Bounces the fuck off. Yeah, I hope so. But yeah, Beverly Hills is probably the safest place in Los Angeles right now. Exactly, man. In this in this one man show, can you like? Are you allowed to talk about what it what it without spoiling it or or, you know what's what's the what's the time frame that you're? Is it going to be like your whole life? Are you going to focus mostly on on the Star Wars era? Yeah, it's mostly going to be from ninety seven to ninety nine. Okay. And it's going to talk about how in Star Wars, where when I played Jar Jar, how it was supposed to be this revolutionary and pioneering, you know, piece of art and changed the way movies were going to be done. And it did. But unfortunately, it didn't do that for me. Like I faced an enormous backlash and um, I was really taken aback by it. I was, I was, I was surprised. Um, Incredibly surprised. And I thought that I believed what everybody said, like this is going to transform your career and you're going to be able to get any role you want. And I I really leaned into that. Um, And then that, the opposite of that happened. It mm-hmm. was to the point where people were like, who are you? And you did what? And we don't believe you. And um, I had to prove to everyone that it, it actually was me and that I am, I was an actor and I am doing work. And um, it almost cost me my life. You know, I fell into a very deep depression and, and was ready to kind of end it all. So it was, it was this, it was the kind of the, the coaster ride of getting the show and 
doing it and then it coming out and then everybody just coming down on me so hard that I couldn't see my way out of it. But I did, you know, I saw my, I finally found what my value and my hope and, you know, the thing that kept me going. And, you know, now I look at it as an experience that I wouldn't want to trade because it, it put me on the path that I'm on now. And it was such a tremendous learning experience. And, um, uh, and I'm in such a much better emotional space and, and I can pretty much handle anything. So that, that's pretty much what the show is about. It's about that up and down of what being in this movie that size, you know, with that much publicity and that much press can do to you if, you know, it all comes down. I'm glad you made it through, man. I remember we, we met like, I guess we met in, in torsos, uh, but like, Mm -hmm. I think it was 2006. So we were probably like a year, you know, and I'm, I'm like a huge star Wars fan. So I remember feeling like, man, I don't want to like ask him about this shit too early on. Mm -hmm. Cause like, I'm sure he's tired of it, but we were, you know, maybe like a year and maybe two years, a year and a half from when Sith, had dropped right because I think what did it yeah. come out 2000 2005 so you were you know yeah, I could tell you were, yeah I could kind of tell you were sort of over it or you know like it was done and you know it was one of those things like you weren't really trying to talk too much about it but um yeah man I can't I can't imagine like what what it's like to be connected to something of that magnitude but it's definitely a remarkable remarkable story and also you know the, the thing that's really interesting that like you've pointed out but it's also really important to note is like as far as mocap i mean motion capture i mean that was it jar jar was the first you know right yeah yeah and it, and it really did change how movies were made and now you can't do a big movie without some kind of motion capture cgi character and um you know, it's really wonderful to see how that character really allowed artists and filmmakers to live out their fantasies and live out their dreams. And, and you know, there was a lot of things that I contributed to that that um, I never got credit for. And it really is difficult. And at the time, as a kid, like, you know, you don't really think about that stuff. Like, I was 24 years old when it went down. And I, I wasn't really thinking about how my movement was the blueprint for the code that is now in every movie that has CGI. That's crazy. And I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize the gravity of that, like... I helped build that code and that code is making a lot of people a lot of money, but I don't got a piece of that shit. Um, You know what I'm saying? And at that age, I'm just happy to have a job and I'm happy to be an actor. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't recognize the gravity of what I'm doing. And honestly, that is, that was my biggest takeaway was there is no thing as there's nothing. There, there's no such thing as you are just an dot dot dot, right? Because yeah. if you contribute artistically to an overall vision, you are an integral part of that vision, right? A lot of people go, "Well, you're just an actor." No, an actor is the last line of defense 
in the grand scheme or the big picture of the project. So there is no just an actor. You need the actor, just like you need the grip, just like you need the gaffer, just like you need the props person. Like we're all cogs in this enormous wheel. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like my favorite musicians were always the musicians you never knew. You know what I'm saying? It was the cats who like made the song. Like mm-hmm. you never really know unless you're unless you're that dude who reads the liner notes like me. You never really know like the song Steve Ferroni played on. But every song Steve Ferroni played on is a hit song. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Because yeah. he, made, he made the song. It wasn't the fact that, oh, Tom Petty wrote this thing and then, you know, the brilliance of Tom Petty made it all come together. It's like, nah. Tom Petty wrote a song and Steve Ferroni destroyed the drum parts. And that's why it's a great song. He played the right thing at the right time. Same thing with Steve Jordan. Like everybody talks about them John Mayer records and it's like, oh, John Mayer this, John Mayer that. Steve Jordan played the shit out of those fucking records. Yeah. And those songs wouldn't be what they are if Steve Jordan wasn't in the room playing or producing. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you can't have a John Mayer without a Steve Jordan. You know? And you can't have a Star Wars without a Jar Jar Binks. It, it just, the, every movie since then used that idea slash code to make their shit great. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty mind-blowing, man, just to consider, like, how that one, that one film, and it wasn't like some independent film that was like a drop of water. I mean, it was a giant thing that really kind of transformed uh you know cinematography and and special effects i mean i feel like that whole era like well i guess i I just remember that time period because uh the matrix the first matrix had come out and there was a trailer for episode one and the matrix itself was a pretty gutsy film in terms of production and the kind of stuff they did so uh yeah i don't know man it's 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 really bizarre to think about to think about like what what that changed over the past 20 years. You know, Matrix and Phantom Menace came out the same year. Came out the exact same year. If you think about Phantom Menace and its technological contribution to movies that's still being used today, and the Matrix's contribution to movies that is not that seems dated now, you see which movie was more technologically advanced, right? Because the Matrix's big thing was bullet time, right? It was like the still images shot in succession over a period of time that allowed you to move a still image 360 degrees, right? Nobody does that now. Yeah, when did that stop? Like, I, you know, I feel like, you know, I, I think when we were in peak bullet time era, everyone expected it to show up everywhere. But I, I in a weird way, it's almost like the the Wachowskis like found something that sort of became like almost like a signature. And it, where else did it show up, man? I didn't, I don't remember seeing it. It just, it just showed up in the Matrix. That was it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And in a couple comedies, there was a comedy about ping pong with Christopher Walken. Oh, right, right. Yes. They did a bullet time gag in there, but it always pointed to the Matrix, right? Bullet time always pointed to the Matrix, you know? So 
bullet time was kind of kind of came and went. Right. Mocap is only mocap has only been like part of everything since since 19 was it 1999 was that the 1999 wow man you know and what and what's crazy is like um before all that like i I think i texted you i was like taking an uber back from lax and dude had on i don't know if he was listening to pandora or if it was like some kind of streaming station or maybe he was just listening to his own tunes but he had some like some jazz hole it was some record you were on i was like (laughs) i was like holy holy shit man (laughs) and that was (laughs) that was that was pre-star wars too right yeah that was pre-star wars pre-stomp jazz hole was my first like major label record deal that was like 93 93 94 somewhere around there um Maybe 95. Yeah, the second, was it 95? I can't remember that. It's such a long time. I think it was like 94, 95. Okay. And Star Wars was 97 because Jazz Hole dropped. And um, I remember when Tower Records used to exist, we had a, uh, uh, remember they used to have on the side of Tower Records, they used to have all of these like pictures of album covers. Yep. And Jazz Hole had a picture up there. And I remember, like, that's when I felt like I made it. I was like, I didn't have a song on the radio. But, uh-huh. you know, I was such a, a Tower Records. I was such a record store guy. You know, I was in Tower Records almost every day. So when I <laughs> I saw, <laughs> you know, the picture of the Jazz Hall on Tower Records, I was like, I, that's it. I made it. Like, I don't need anything else. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? <laughs> I was nothing else in my life. And then I got stomp and I was doing jazz hole and stomp at the same time. Yeah, dude. I mean, you've had many, many lives in this, in this thing, man. And that's, that's what I think yeah, is interesting yeah. and it's cool. You know, like, I don't think, I don't think the the world at large is always aware of what people do or what people have done. You know, it's such a strange, it's such a strange thing to be known for maybe like one or two things, but not really have the whole picture. You know, it's such a, it's such a strange yeah. Strange thing. I mean, I guess it's good to be known for something, but you know, it's it's always interesting to to see the bigger picture of what folks have done. And you got anything else in the works? I saw the web series. Like I watched a couple episodes. Uh, the two yeah, black dudes. I have two black dudes is out right now. Um, on my boy Jay Lee's um, webpage. So if you want to subscribe to that, two black dudes is a is a web series that he and I did. Um, and this is one of the things that I was talking about as far as, far as the entertainment industry. It's like talent and pipeline there. We have a gatekeeper problem. The guys, the higher ups who think they know what's happening or what's cool or what's hap- what's, what's, what's what everybody's going to dig, they're mm-hmm. out of touch and they don't know where to find what. And now we have to be more curatorial than anything else in this time because those of us who know and those of us who have relationships uh, can really push the gatekeepers into opening the gates. And Two Black Dudes is one of those things. I've been making web series since 2006, and I made a sci-fi comedy called The Nebula. I made a a female, uh, black female-driven comedy way before Insecure um, called This Can't Be My Life in 06. And I have been kind of self-generating for a very long time. And so my buddy, Jay Lee, who's on that show, The Orville, right now he plays John Lamar on The Orville. He and I have been friends for quite some time. And 
we had a, a writer's room, an independent writer's room where we would come together and write stuff. And he had this idea called Two Black Dudes, which is a show about two cousins living in Los Angeles and them having kind of kind of like deal with the day to day of being in a crazy town, you know? Yeah. And he came to me and he was like, yo, I got to show two black dudes. And I was like, yeah, man, what do you want to do? Like, you want me to write? You want me to direct? I'm down, right? And he was like, I want you to be the other black dude. And I was like, word? And at that time, I was really like transitioning more behind the camera than I was in front of the camera. And I hadn't been really pursuing acting in a very long time. You know, I went to film school, got my master's degree in film and all of that stuff. So when he was like, I want you to act, I was like, Oh, okay. And then I ended up having such a, a great time doing it that it kind of like got the acting bug back into me and I started jump, jumping into acting again. But um, that show, we did the first season of that show. It got bought by Fox then it got dropped by Fox and oh, then wow. we got the rights back. And then um, Jay Lee comes to me and he's like, I want to do a second season of Two Black Dudes. And I was like, well, it just so happens that I just bought a whole like camera package. Let's go do it. And so we shot a whole nother season of Two Black Dudes and we just released. We were trying to shop it around town and see if it was going to get picked up. But, it, but we kind of decided that this was a good time. We have a captive audience. Let's put it out and see what's up and see what we can do. And, and that's what we did. If you go to my Instagram or if you go to my um, my YouTube, not my YouTube page, my Instagram or my Twitter page, there are links to it. Or, or if you go to Jay Lee's YouTube page or his Twitter page, he's at Jay Lee Film on Instagram. Um, there are links to it and you can watch it and enjoy it and dig it. Awesome. Any book, album or movie recommendations for this quarantine? Album or movie recommendations? Um, album recommendations? Uh, what am I listening to? You know, I've been listening to a lot of classical music lately. Okay. Weird. But I've been listening <laughs> to a lot of soundtracks. And uh, Hans Zimmer Inception kind of works for me during during quarantine. If you listen to the Inception soundtrack. It kind of feels like what's going on today. Okay. Um, and movies, I've been catching up on all my Star Treks, and I just finished Discovery, um, which I right. thought was, I, I thought was okay. Um, it didn't really blow me away, but I thought it was all right. A lot, of, a lot of melodrama. A little too much, too melodrama for me. I haven't checked but, it out um, yet. It's all right. If you're a Star Trek fan, you'll like it. Um, and I'm a I'm a huge Trekkie, so I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. Movie wise, um, anything new that blew me away? You know, not re- you know what I'm gonna rewatch though. Watchmen on HBO. Oh, that was excellent, man. I think that was the best. It was some of the best visual storytelling I've ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah, it needs to win all the awards. I mean, I know we we talked about this when we were hanging before, but like just just the way that uh from from the way from just the way they conceived it, the way they decided to build on history 
um, the way they intertwined it or they interweaved like the lore from like the, the graphic novel, uh, or, you know, the original, the, the original comics that became the graphic novel. Um, like it was, I just don't feel like it could have, I mean, it was perfect, man. I've, I've never yeah. felt like a hundred percent satisfied with something like that. And, and, you know, it, it just had the right amount of everything, like love for the source material. Um, it, it was challenging and it, I don't know, man, it was, that whole thing was incredible. Yeah. Um, I thought it was dope. I thought it was firing on all cylinders. I loved it. I really loved it. So I'm going to rewatch that while I'm here. I'm going to co-sign on that. Any books? You know what I'm reading right now? It's nonfiction, but it's a very good book for right now. It's called um, Narrative Economics, and it's it's by Robert Schiller, who just won okay. the Nobel Prize for Economics. And um, the reason why I'm reading it is because – so I have this podcast called the Afrofuturist Podcast, where we talk about future and forecasting and democratizing the future. Yes. And as somebody who, you know, makes, you know, narrative stories for a living – and who is interested in the future and the future of democracy, reading how stories drive economic events is very interesting to me. And right now we're in a time period where the story of COVID-19 is driving the economic event of what's happening. And I've been doing a little bit of an experiment about if I could predict what's happening in the stock market based on what I know as a narrative uh, creator and economics. And it's been kind of working. So I'm kind of using this book as the economic baseline and using my, you know, education and experience as a creative storyteller as the other baseline and see if I can put those together and, and, and know and kind of forecast what's about to happen in the future. But even if you're interested in just the history of how stories move the economy, Robert Schiller, Narrative Economics is a great, great book. That's cool. So Narrative Economics. I'm going to definitely check yes. that out. Thanks so much for being on this. It's been awesome to chat and catch up. Um, glad to hear you guys are holding it down over there. I'll stay in touch and you know keep me posted on what's happening. Yeah, man. Um, we should try to make some music over the interwebs. Figure that out. I'm down. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, my dude. Anytime. I'll talk to you soon. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. There are new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. You can listen to Stir Crazy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, google play podcast thanks so much for listening be well